Welcome back, everyone, to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. This is your host, John Hewlin. As always, thrilled that you've chosen to spend some of your hard-earned time with me. Life is all about relationships, and great leaders heavily invest in those relationships. On the Relationships and Revenue Podcast, we talk about how to improve our most significant relationships at home so we can be better in our business relationships. We talk with experts from all over the world representing many disciplines about the best tips and strategies to become amazing people and amazing leaders. Welcome to the show. And as you heard from that wonderful introduction, I have the one and only Dr. Leia Katz with us today. Dr. Leia, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on today. You bet. You bet. And folks, I am especially excited to have Dr. Leia here because she has written a book called Gutsy. And we're going to talk about that more in depth in just a moment. But just to kind of give you some of her background, and as you guys know, I am always prepared with my notes ready to go. Uh, so Dr. Leia is a clinical psychologist, and her specialty, I believe, is working with adults and teenagers treating anxiety and depression. First of all, Dr. Leia, is that right? Yeah, that is correct. <laughs> okay, okay, good. Uh, she's also a speaker. She's a media contributor. And when I say media, folks, I mean, I'm talking about Google, CBS, Psychology Today, Huffington Post, ABC, Shape, and more. I'm sure there's way more you could list than that, Dr. Leia, but those were some that I found that you had been uh, quoted in, so to speak. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right. Now, to her book, uh, Gutsy, Mindfulness Practices for Everyday Bravery. Yep. Wow. I just, I mean, obviously, the title, well, okay, let me go a little deeper. Mm -hmm. To be truthful, one mm -hmm. of the things that attracted me to having you on the show, Dr. Leia, it wasn't the title. It was the subtitle. Mm, yeah. And truthfully, you know, if great books do that, I mean, the title might get some people, but it's usually uh -huh. the subtitle, which is an explanation of uh -huh. the title that really tells you what you can expect from the book. Yeah. And so I wasn't necessarily thinking about jumping into it now, but let's do that. Let's talk about the book right now. I want to okay. know, you know, what was in your mind when you decided, hey, this is so important of a subject that I need to write about it? Who's it for? Talk to us about that. Yeah, thank you for starting out there because it's fun for me to talk about. So I had had this book inside of me for many years, and I even write about mm. it a bit in the intro of Gutsy. Um, I felt like I had gone through this personal transformation that really changed my life. And to this mm. day, and I think for always, I, I feel so grateful to have had. And I wanted to I wanted to write that and share it with the world and hope that maybe it will help someone else be brave and make gutsy choices so that they can also find a life of more meaning and value. OK, OK. Well, you know, I can't just leave it there. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's always, you know, the story behind the story. Yeah. So so fill that in without giving too much away. Because yeah, obviously yeah. we want people to buy the book and folks, there uh -huh. will be a link in the show notes for you guys to be able to purchase the book for sure. So give us a little bit more, tease us a little bit more about your backstory, because that will help us understand better why you would want to write the book. Yeah, for sure. Um, so my backstory, I grew up in New York. I'm the youngest of a, a pretty large family. And we were 
a very religious family, very religious Jewish family. And um, there are a lot of beautiful things about growing up in that culture and growing up in a big family system and community and a lot of expectation that this mm. is choices that you would make. And this is, you know, this is the way that we're doing it. So this is the way that you should do it. And um, and I write about this in Gutsy too, you know, like even from a young age, there was a lot of what I was doing and being raised with that didn't feel quite right to me and didn't feel like I wanted to be living my life in that kind of way. I wanted to have more experiences and exposure to different things. Um, and I write in the book too, because this is the book also talks a lot about self-development and getting in touch with our self-worth and the stories we tell about our with the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves mm. to ourselves um, that I, you know, that I was sort of like playing into. So I want, I was, you know, a people pleaser and the good girl and wanted to sort of make everyone happy. And I was good at it. And in a lot of ways, like I had said before, it worked for me. So it was easy for me to ignore the yearning or the longing to make change and have a different kind of experience in my life. And then taking you through like fast forwarding a bunch of years when I was in my 20s, um, I went on a meditation retreat and it mm. was like, it's like really, it's luckily looking back on, you know, sometimes you have these experiences and you look, you're like, what in the world? Like, how did I do that? Why did I like, it was such a crazy thing to do. But I went on the yeah. seven day meditation retreat without ever having really meditated before. I mean, I was a, mm. I was a psychologist at the time. I was like in the beginning of my career. Um, but I, and I talked about mindfulness and meditation and I did like little tiny snippets of practice, but never anything like that. Like this was a seven day immersive partially silent retreat mm. and uh, my therapist at the time suggested I go on one because she was very into this and I was like you know what I'll go for it <laughs> because mm -hmm. at the time we were moving from New York to Portland my husband's from Portland we live in Portland right now mm. uh, and so I was like I have the time I'm in between jobs so I went on the seven day meditation retreat and it like completely changed my life Wow. The experience of, um, and I know like people say that and sometimes it sounds a little trite, but it really, really, really did. I mean, just the experience of going away. I, at the time I had one young child and I was, had been married already for many years. And um, I had the opportunity to get silent and just spend seven days basically with myself and with my mm. thoughts. And that, and, and, and the practice of meditation, it's not just the awareness of what we're thinking and how to be present for it. It's also how to meet what we're experiencing with compassion and love. So it was a combination of that. Okay, what's happening in my mind? Where's my mind going? And can I meet that with a lot of love and compassion and honor it? And it was that combination that really created this fire inside of me when I came home to start making change and live a life that felt more authentic to me. Mm. Uh, and pay attention, finally, you know, after many years to areas of, I want to say pain, but pain is relative, you know, but areas that were really of discontent in my life that were just not okay. working for me and and do something about it. And so that's so when I came home from that, actually on that retreat is when I started making some changes in terms of like my religious practice and what I wanted to do and what felt right to me. Mm -hmm. I write in my book a little bit like I, the, you know, the sect that I grew up in and the culture that I was from, women covered their hair when they got married, mm. were never allowed to wear pants and we had to cover up, wear long sleeves. And, uh, and I never felt good about that. Like it was never, it never felt right to me. And so I remember like on that retreat at one point it was like the first time I ever wore, I remember so clearly I was in a gift shop at the retreat center. And instead of putting a skirt over my yoga pants, which I normally would have done because I wasn't supposed to wear pants in public, I just went out in my yoga pants. And I remember catching a glimpse of myself in the mirror in that gift shop and <laughs> being like, oh, wow, this is like really cool. I can like, actually, I can take agency and make change in my life and make mm. it more a reflection of me. And that led me on this big journey. And that's where Gutsy came from. It was wanting to tell that story and offer hope and guidance because there's a lot of practical 
tidbits in there on how people can make change in whatever capacity they feel called to in their own lives. Okay. So give us a bit of a timeline then. Yeah. From going on the retreat and Mm -hmm. making some of these discoveries Mm -hmm. to writing and publishing Gutsy. Yeah. So let's see, the retreat was almost 10 years ago and I came home and that's when I started making changes, like real practical changes on how I was living my life and what I wanted to do and honoring that. And then, you know, I think over the next couple of years, I started thinking like this would be this would be good to write in a book just for, you know, for my own process to be able to write it down. And like I said, maybe to be able to help others. And so, like, I think the idea was born like within that initial um, that initial phase after coming back from the mindfulness retreat. And then I started writing it probably five years after that. But so like, so it wasn't just, you know, like, oh, I want this process to unfold more and find the right time to write it. But I think a piece of it also was, and I talk about this in the book too, because this is a big part of it, like dealing with a lot of imposter syndrome and self-worth is, you know, feeling like, well, I'm not ready to write this book. And who am I to write this book? And <laughs> why Why would I, t- like, you know, who's going to read this? Like, you know, like silly little me, like, you know, sort of like that's narrative that I know a lot of us have in our minds. And that was, that made me push off writing the book even more. And then I think trying to remember, it was like a, I was with a group of girlfriends. We had just watched this like inspirational uh, documentary about pursuing your dreams. And we decided to create monthly meetings after that, mm. like just to support each other in our dreams mm-hmm. and the things that we wanted to pursue. Um, and that was probably like five years after the retreat. And that was when I was like, you know what? I think like it was the first time I named it out loud. Like I want to write a book. I've always, I've wanted to write a book for years, even before the retreat. Like I always, I like writing. Um, and I'm just, I'm going to do it. And I got mm. out of my head, which was tough. And I had accountability, <laughs> which is so important. So like telling people about it and having people check in on me and having deadlines and other people knowing about those deadlines, like, that was a part of the process too, because it's so easy for those insecurities to creep up and create barriers yeah. in pursuing the thing because inevitably it will. I mean, when we do big things and pursue dreams, there's going to be a lot of fear involved and we've got to know how to work with that. Oh yeah. 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 That, uh, that definitely happens. You know, one of the things you talked about before you, you initially used the word pain, you changed uh-huh. to a different word, but I uh-huh. want to kind of go with that theme for just a minute. Yeah. Uh, it's been one of my observations over the years because I've had some of my own stuff. I've had to work through over mm-hmm. the years. Um, you probably noticed that some of the pictures behind mm-hmm. me has me with my three kids. Mm-hmm. Well, there is somebody missing from those. That's my now almost 13 years later ex-wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tell people all the time, my divorce was completely preventable. Oh, as yeah. most are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I had known then the things I know now, mm-hmm. we probably would not be divorced. Mm-hmm. But it forced me to take a hard look at me mm-hmm. and what I was doing wrong, not just in that relationship, but all my mm-hmm. relations. Mm-hmm. And so as I began to work on those things, as I began to get better, as I began to take ownership of my pain and work wow. through it and not pretend it didn't exist and not try to circumvent it at all, but to try and work through it. As mm-hmm. I did that, my pain led to my purpose and wow. ultimately to a platform of which this is a part. Wow. So wow. if it had not been for my divorce, I truly believe you and I would not be talking today. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, that's an incredible way to heal. And I think a big part of healing is making meaning from finding meaning in our suffering, finding meaning, you know, and that's very different from 
this whole notion of, you know, got to make the best of things and things happen for a reason. I don't like that because I think that can be really minimizing of the painful things we go through. Mm-hmm. But there's something really different and really compassionate and powerful. Like, where's the meaning in this? You know, how did this shape mm-hmm. me? How did this lead to the next things? And I do that a lot with my own story, too, because I've had to deal with a lot of regret and loss and sadness about experiences I didn't have. And, you know, you can't we can never get back time. You know, that's right. hard a lot of us too. <laughs> to swallow and just accept. And there's a lot of sadness that comes with that, but that's a piece of it. Like, oh, okay, well, how did these hard experiences that I really wish never had happened or would have been different, but how did they lead to where I am today and to who I am today? And that is, I think that's important. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So I'm curious, how does someone who's coming from a large Jewish family in New York, how do you decide that you want to go into the field of psychology. Mm, yeah. So I grew up in an interesting, like this interesting dialect, or like I guess like a dial, uh, like a duality where we were okay. very religious, uh, but my parents were very educated. My dad was a physician, and mm. um, I went to you know schools that emphasized both Jewish studies and Hebrew studies and biblical studies, and also uh, secular academic. You know, English. We like we learned everything that you would learn in like public school. So. Yeah. I went to like this really competitive high school. And so it wasn't um, it wasn't like a weird thing to go and pursue a degree beyond high school and want to have a career that was tempered with this idea that, you know, in the sect that I was growing born into and grew up in the expectation of having a large family, you know, so it was sort of like this idea, mm. uh, OK, I, I can work and I can have a career, but let me choose something that would accommodate, you know, getting married young and having a uh. large family so I can also be a mom. Okay. And, um, so I, so actually that's interesting because like that is a part of why at that time, because I was still very much a part of it, I did choose psychology because it would provide me with that. You know, so I thought mm. about medical school for a little bit, but medical school didn't seem like, you know, something I can do and have a large family. Like at the time that was like, you know, what I thought, but I had got that feedback from people around me, like, don't know that you can't do that. And psychology seemed like it would be a good meeting of the mind where I can challenge myself academically, get a higher degree. Mm-hmm. Um then and and do something that hopefully would be meaningful for me. And I still I always say like I'm so grateful that I love what I do because I chose it so young. I was, you know, yeah. I right into my graduate, you know, PhD program. Yeah. Um and I got my PhD in my 20 when I was 27 years old. I got it when I was young. Wow. Um and but I'm so grateful that I love what I do. But that is a part of why I chose it because it was this idea of like, okay, well I can do this and do do all the things with this with this career. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Now, on, a, on that timeline you were talking about before, uh-huh. um, with the thought in your mind anyway, that you're going to have a family, obviously you do, mm-hmm. um, you're married and how many kiddos do you have? I've got two. Two. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how old are your kids? My son is 12. Um, he's going to be 13 in the summer and my daughter just turned eight. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I know. They're getting older. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Just, so just wait. You wild. just wait. Well, and, but you know, it's so wild how time flies. I remember when they were babies and you probably have these memories too, of like people coming over and saying like, oh, you, you know, like time goes by fast, enjoy them while, while they're young. And you're like, yeah, right. Like this is going to, because like when they're little, it does seem like it, it's a long time. It's hard. Uh-huh. And, and you're like, you know, you get to the stage where they're like more independent. And me and my husband are like, oh, my son can now watch my daughter for little stretches of time. Like we can go mm-hmm. out. Like it's like such a wild thing how we're there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And when my oldest is getting ready to graduate college. So, uh-huh. uh huh. Wow. It's wow. weird. It's wow. very weird. Wow. <laughs> How old your kids are in high school? Uh, my, my younger two are. Yes. Are uh, with my, my oldest daughter, who is my middle child, she's uh-huh. going to graduate high school this year. Wow. And my youngest, who lives with me, uh, she's going to graduate. 
next school year, but at semester. So uh, she's going to graduate a semester early. Oh, okay. Wow. 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 Yeah. yeah. So that must be an interesting place to be in yourself. It is. It is. Like it is. And launching and yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very different for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Different than those early days. Yeah. That you mentioned how you feel like, I mean, one day just bleeds right into the next. And it feels like, I mean, somebody could tell you it's Wednesday. I'm like, where's the weekend go? <laughs> I just, right. it's gone. I have no idea. They're all the dates are the same. And oh yeah. Yeah. I remember those days, but it's, it's true. It's like the years feel like weeks. I know. I, I mean, they like just the day, fly right? by. It's the days go are long and the years are fast, right? Is that how it goes? Yes. True? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. For sure. For sure. So, so you decide to get into psychology and you decide while you're long enough and that, I mean, truthfully, Anybody mm-hmm. I've ever known who's gone into psychology be, beyond the bachelor's, who mm-hmm. wants to really go somewhere with it, you know, I've probably known a dozen people and 10 of the 12 have doctorate. Because uh-huh. even though you can get a master's and still do a little something, you really kind of have to go further in order for it to. I'm not telling you something you don't know. I'm telling the other folks if they don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it opens <laughs> the, more doors, you know. So if you're not yeah. sure, you know, you can teach with your doctorate more easily. You can do research, you know, like there's just more things that are more easily available to you. Yeah. So with that thought in mind, uh-huh. what made you decide to go the way you have with it? Meaning your specialty is mm-hmm. with adults and teens specializing specifically in anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting. And I want and probably other psychologists can relate to this sort of like career flow and how things come and go. But um, it wasn't always I wasn't I didn't start out as a psychologist all those years ago with the intent to make this my specialty right now. And along the way, I've had other things that I've specialized in. And it just sort of, you know, it's the combination of opportunities coming my way and then sort of siphoning, siphoning out what I really love you know, versus what I didn't like and then taking more of that. So when I first started out, I was working in a community clinic and I was uh, mm. seeing very different kind of caseload. I worked with a lot of personality disorders and I did okay. uh, a lot of, dial- if anybody listening is familiar, like DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, it was a very different sort of thing. I did a lot of groups um, because that was the need at the community clinic that I was mm. working at. And I found that like, I really enjoy, I really loved working with women and I really, really enjoyed running these groups and seeing them in one-on-one therapy. And then when we mm. moved to Portland, I made a little bit of a career shift and I worked at a, a group practice for many, many years before I opened up my own practice and uh, a place that specialized in working with children. It was called, actually called the oh. Children's Program. So I didn't work. Well, I did start off working with younger kids because I had had that experience. But then I found that I really liked working with teenagers. Mm. Uh, and so that was so I started working with teenagers and, you know, a lot of moms from teens who were in the clinic would come, you know, for anxiety treatment. And so, mm. uh, so that's just what kind of happened. And now that I'm in my own practice, I'm really loving it. And I'm really like, so I'm gravitating towards the the clientele and the issues that I really like treating. And that's women and teens. And I work with men too, and with psychology, uh, with uh, anxiety and depression. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, based upon what you're specializing in today, uh-huh. my, my gut tells me that over the last couple of years, your caseload's probably gone through the roof. Yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it has. It's always been pretty busy, but um, for sure, I mean, the last couple of years and now, you know, like, I mean, every and I think people who are listening who are in mental health or even people and I've experienced this trying to find therapists for family members, it's really hard to find therapists because there's such need. And we've all gone through a lot with the pandemic. And now it's just sort of like this really weird 
where are we and how did this impact me? And, you know, I work with a lot of teens and with that age group specifically, there's a lot of loss that we process and grief, mm. even. you know, like I didn't have my my high school experience for them telling me I didn't have the high school experience that I was wanting. I didn't have a prom. Mm. And, and, you know, I've had, worked with a lot of kiddos who were like in ninth grade when the pandemic hit. And then like now, now they're what seniors. And it's like, how am I already going off to college? Like what happens, like the developmental phases that I was supposed to go mm-hmm. through through my high school. So, um, I mean, it's really, it's been a huge impact and yeah, we're mental health. There's a big need. For yeah. sure. For sure. Yeah. So now one of the things that you talked about a little bit ago, although you do work with men, it, <laughs> it seems like there's more of an, an emphasis or uh, a leaning toward working with mm-hmm. women. Mm-hmm. Um, is that just more of a natural affinity or are you just discovering that you are working better with women because of the issues that come up and you're just more familiar with that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a it's a combination of that along with uh, the when the community clinic that I worked at in New York that I was just talking about. Mm-hmm. It was a community clinic in a very religious sect of New York. And mostly women saw women and men saw men because that of that. Sense. So. I did a lot of, I spent, you know, I was there for four years before we moved to Portland. And so that was just like how I got started, you know, like mm. I worked with only women and I really enjoyed working with women. So that kind of continued into my work in Portland. And it's interesting now that I'm in my own practice, I am, I'm opening it up to working with men too. And mm-hmm. I, I enjoy it in a different kind of way. So mm. I really enjoy working with women because there's like that just shared experience of what it's like to be a woman and different things that women deal with in Western culture, like body image stuff and, you know, being a mom for women that I work with that are moms and have juggling a career and parenthood. And so there's a lot of like uh, personal relevance there, but I really do enjoy working with men um, because there's something about there's something about helping, you know, not not everyone has this experience, but men who've gone through years of sort of like conditioned behavior around emotions and men are supposed mm-hmm. to be stronger and not cry and and not you know, like just like, yeah, like, I don't know. Can you relate to this? Is this like a I, I spend an awful lot of time in in some of the coaching that I do. Yeah. Um, some of the coaching I do with men. Yeah. Uh, we talk about that stuff a lot. Um, yeah, I've I've developed something that I call uh, the F6 formula. Uh-huh. And and it's the six areas of a man's life he tends to struggle in, especially after he gets married. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, these happen to be in alphabetical order. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had faith, fashion, fitness, food, friendship, and fun. Ah, uh-huh. neat. Okay, those six areas. Yeah. Uh huh. And the coaching uh-huh. you go through is in like each of those different categories. It it helps with that. Yeah, you know, it's and again, all that it goes back to something we talked about earlier. It comes uh-huh. from a place of pain for me. Yeah from my divorce because truthfully the reason I do it is because I don't want to see another man end up like me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Because most divorces are preventable. They are. Yeah. And the 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 analogy that I use often, Dr. Leia, is uh is one of a train. Mm-hmm. Uh I think about a train that's going across the country. Mm-hmm. And and in my mind I picture one that gets Past where I happen to live in Kansas City, I'm on the Kansas side, but I live in mm-hmm. Kansas City. So when I tell people I live in Kansas, they think it's flat. And I actually, I'm in the eastern part of Kansas. It's not flat at all here. We, I mean, lots oh. of hills and trees and stuff. No, it doesn't get flat till you get past the capital in Topeka. You got to go uh-huh. a lot further west before it starts to get flat and there's like nothing. Uh-huh. Then again, people who haven't been even further west into Colorado, they think when you get to the state line, it's immediately mountains and it's <laughs> not. 
You got to uh-huh. go a lot further to get into Denver when you start getting uh-huh. mountains. Anyhow, so in my mind, I'm picturing this train ride going from east to west and off in the distance, you know it's coming. You There is a, a huge gorge coming mm-hmm. and there's a bridge there, but mm-hmm. and you know it's there, but you're going really fast on this train. But what you don't know is that over the years, this bridge has been slowly crumbling and mm. falling apart. It's wow. still there. The structure technically is there, Un- but it's not really there. <laughs> and you don't know until you get to the bridge going too fast and you can't stop and you tumble all the way down to the bottom and you crash uh-huh. and you die. Uh-huh. I said, that's what happened to me. That was the uh-huh. end of my marriage. It crashed wow. and burned. And one of the great things about doing the hard work that I did uh-huh. about learning what I did wrong to get better is that now I feel like scales have fallen off my eyes mm-hmm. and I can see things anew and I'm able to see, I mean, it started initially with friends. It's mm-hmm. like, look, man, you are headed down a path. You don't want to go. Wow. I'm telling you, you don't. It's like, you don't think so now because it, it's very subtle, mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. subtle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, does it always work? No. Meaning mm-hmm. do people do men listen to what I have to say? It's like, no. It's like, okay. I just, mm-hmm. I'm telling you, it's coming. Yeah. It's coming, yeah. man. Yeah. It, and I've had some come back and say, I wish I'd listened to you. Oh, wow. I wish I'd listened to you. Now, wow. a few of them, they kind of got about halfway. They were tumbling down mm-hmm. and they were able to figure out a way to throw up a lifeline, a hook that grabbed on and wow. slowly climb back up. Wow. But it was wow. a lot of work. Yep. Because they yeah. waited so long. Wow. Well, it's really neat that you offer that to men because there's a lot. I mean, I think like what we were saying before with like the condition response and and what we have to learn the skills to have a healthy relationship when we're mm-hmm. younger. And most oh, of yes. us don't, you know, most I mean, men and women, you know, differently, but also like there are specific like gender things that come up when you're growing mm-hmm. up. And so if you don't know it, you're just going to like the crashing and burning. You're just going to go tumble down that bridge. Oh, and yeah. that's personally resonant for me in my own marriage you know with my husband we got married when we were pretty young and we were both in this religious sect and we've done a lot of a lot of work we had to <laughs> and i'm really grateful that we did and that we found people to help us along the way who really did help us yeah. Uh, but yeah i mean if it wasn't for that we would either like not be married or be unhappily married and you know mm-hmm. good, grateful that we are you know we're doing good but we but and we keep on working at it yeah. yeah which you have to i mean i i tell people all the time that's the hardest job you'll ever have yeah. He's being yeah. married. Yeah, totally. And, you know, you don't see that portrayed in like culture and movies and shows. <laughs> and it's the opposite. And so then, you know, that's a part of it. Not only is it like not learning the skill to have a healthy relationship, you know, from the people that you witnessed growing up, but then you have all these unrealistic expectations of what a healthy relationship is, you know? So it's mm-hmm. like, like, how are we supposed to succeed at this and be happy? Yeah. Right. For sure. You know, w- one of the things, uh, this is my belief, and mm-hmm. I, I don't put this on anybody else but me. Mm-hmm. But I think it's been kind of borne out over time. Mm -hmm. I believe that God implants in the DNA of every man. We know how to pursue. Mm -hmm. We know how to do it. Mm -hmm. But there is something that happens to us. This may be a slight over-exaggeration, but I don't think so. There's something, it's it's something supernatural that happens to Mm -hmm. us. That once we get her, i.e. the wedding day, Mm -hmm. it's like there's a switch in the back of our heads it flips down and turns off and we stop pursuing because mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I've got my prize, right? I did my thing. And so now I don't, 
No one teaches us as mm-hmm. men how to continue to pursue. Mm-hmm. And what I tell men all the time is like, look, I know what men are doing. I know what they're pursuing after that. Mm-hmm. They're pursuing careers and or mm-hmm. hobbies because mm-hmm. there's never an end to those. Yeah, there's not. I mean, golf's not my thing, but I have friends uh-huh. who love it. There's always, you know, a new club, new shoe, new ball, new place uh-huh. to play. There's always something new with that. I'm like, OK, yeah. we're going to take some of those resources, both monetarily as well as human investment of emotion. We're uh-huh. going to take some of that out and we're going to put it back where it belongs in your marriage. We're going to teach you how to continue yeah. to pursue. And that's part of where some of those that F6 formula comes into wow. play is teaching men how to do that. And one of the first things I tell them is like, look, what we do as men many times is we're not able to give our wives what they need. They need to know from us. It is their relational oxygen. They need what's going on with us on the inside. They need to know our hopes, dreams, feelings, and emotions. And of course, I always get pushback on that from guys. I'm like, look, I get that. I get that we're not trained as men. In fact, we're told kind of the opposite. Oh, right. To to not emphasize that. And it's like, look, you can say, well, I'm just not that kind of person or I just can't do that. Like, well, whoa. First of all, yes, you can. Mm -hmm. It's like, I want you to think about this now as this is a new skill set because that's all it is. I want to teach you a new skill set because if this was your job and your boss or if you own your own business, your biggest client came to you look, we're going in a different direction. Uh-huh. We want you there, but you got to do these three, five, seven, whatever they are, things mm-hmm. in order to do that. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't give it a second thought. You mm-hmm. would learn the thing and do it. Well, yeah. your marriage is infinitely more important than any job or client. Right. Yep, yep, yep. Well, it sounds like these are lucky guys. <laughs> you're good, good getting good information and coaching from you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope so. I hope so. Well, since we've been talking about relationships, and of course, this is the Relationships and Revenue Podcast, I want to know more about what is it that you're doing right now? What are you doing, Dr. Leah, to build into, to make better, to improve your most significant relationships? And what impact do those relationships have on your business? Yeah, that's a great question. And I love talking about this because, like I said earlier, it's not something the work, the the place that my relationships are currently is not where it would have been or was, you know, years ago without having it's the work that we've done, you know, like for. And so when I think about my most significant relationships, I think about my nuclear family, my husband yeah. and my mm-hmm. and, um, you know, all around. I mean, like me and my husband have done a lot of work together to to mm-hmm. meet each other in what we need from each other and to establish healthy communication with each other. And then how that translates into how we parent our children, you know, like sure. with how we're there for each other's, uh, for their emotions and to attune to them. So um, so what was the question? And the question was, how are you building into those relationships and what impact do those relationships have on your business? Yeah. I mean, so starting with my, you know, like my marriage, my husband and I have really done a lot of uh, like therapy work in the past to help us learn skill that neither one of us had had because we didn't learn it when we were growing up on how to communicate with each other. So it's like learning communication and it's learning how to attend and attune to each other's emotions. And for me, this was like a big one, how to regulate my emotions. So how can I like Mm. be angry 
and be regulated and express that so that he can hear me, you know, because I didn't really, I came, you know, we got married when, when we were in our early twenties and I didn't really know how to do that. I was angry. And so I would just like, you know, like be really upset or whatever would happen. We get into these big fights and then like want him to be there for me. And that wasn't going to happen because I was not treating him well, you know, and I was, you know, who's going to be, you know, and that this is something that we tell our clients, right? Like you, you've got to have certain standards in your relationships and people have to treat you well. And if someone's yelling at you, that's a boundary of violation. And I'm sorry, but you don't get to yell at me. Like if you want to talk to me calmly, we can have this conversation, you know? So mm-hmm. I've done a lot of my own work in, on that. And then we work together and we, um, so what do we do? I mean, we do check-ins with each other. Like that's something that's been really valuable for our relationship where we talk mm-hmm. about how are we, you know, and sometimes one you know, like the idea that we have around check-ins and what I counsel clients of mine is to have like a, a weekly, if you can, check-in with your spouse where you sit down and just it's after the kids are sleeping and it's just like a cozy time where you check in. How are we each doing in our own lives and how are we doing in our marriage? Like, is there anything that you yeah. want to talk about? Any misses that happened? Anything that was really special that you really enjoyed? So um, when, you know, and, and we come and we go. So sometimes we are really good about doing like a weekly check-in, but sometimes it's more spontaneous. And at this right now, mm. we're busy with our jobs and stuff and kids. It's more spontaneous, but we make a point of making it happen. And those are really, really helpful, both as a point of connection and mm-hmm. as a point of processing. Um, and then I think another one that is so helpful to keep the relationship strong to, that I can, you know, want to offer people, because I think this is so important, is the power of, um, you know, so we have these check-ins every so often, but when there's been a miss or you're sitting with some sort of feeling, something happened that you're not feeling good about, coming to an agreement with your spouse out of the moment about how are we going to handle those misses and they get attended to shortly after they happen, like we don't sit on things for too long, you know, mm. so I'm feeling bad or something happened or something with, because parenting is a whole other can of worms. Like, when Yes, it is. Parenting, <laughs> that's a different experience and different background than you do and getting on the same mm-hmm. page. So, you know, that comes up too with like misses and parenting and, oh, I'm not sure that, you know, I would have handled that situation in that way. So we have permission from each other and we do this with each other where it's like, hey, you know, like when when we can, if there's time to accommodate, like, let's go. Can we just like go to another room, like just talk about this for a minute? We just like have a quick, quick little check in. And that's really helpful because it helps us just like process in the moment and like not carry things over. So um, but like I said before, it's like really, you know, like those are just a couple of things that we do along with many, many others. It's really a commitment to walking this path with each other that we're both committed to this value of increasing our communication, authenticity is a big piece of it. Like feeling like there's nothing that I can't share with him that he can't share with me. Like we are, we really try and be open books with each other. Um, and a lot of people, you know, it's interesting because I have conversations with friends who are like, really? Like, oh, you know, like, oh, we don't talk about that. Or, and for yeah. like, it's a value. And some people might not want to buy into that. But for us, it's like this, we're on the same, like in the same page of this value of just like really wanting to be open and transparent and be known by each other. And sometimes right. I, like sharing things, you're like, oh, this feels embarrassing to talk about, you know, but um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that like the work that we do with each other creates this foundation for how we parent our kids. Like my other very important relationships, you know, of like checking in with them about their emotions and, um, you know, it's, it's a lot. It's like such a big, <laughs> such a big answer, you know, like there's so many different mm-hmm. ways, but sure. yeah, then it's probably the most, it is the most meaningful thing in my life. Like watching these relationships that I have in my life deepen mm-hmm. and knowing that like what you were saying that like, it's intentional. It's not like magic. I tell oh, yeah. the like you're not doing better. It's not nobody waves a magic hand. You're not doing wand. You're not doing better because like someone sprinkled fairy dust on you. You're doing you're doing better because you're doing really hard things. What are you doing? You know. So for mm-hmm. me, and like think about relationships, it's because we are doing hard things and we're doing a lot of hard work, and it's really gratifying to see the results. And it's not always easy. Like that's important to name too, right? It's not like oh, no. la, like we know all these skills and everything's <laughs> fabulous. Um, you know, sometimes it's hard, but that's okay. That's a part of it too. Yeah, I I tell people all the time. 
Relationships are a risk, but they are never a waste. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. I like that. Well, feel free to use it. Okay, well, <laughs> I like that. Relationships are a risk, but never a waste. That's nice. Mm-hmm. How would you define success? I think success is not, well, I would not define success, which isn't quite what you asked me, according to like our Western ideas of success. Like if I do well and I get the promotion and I get the grade and I get like, that's not success because like then we're just never happy because it's just like, okay, well, now I did this. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? It's like, we're constantly, I talk about this in Gutsy too, the striving, like we're constantly striving to like be different and be in a different place than we are. So I don't think that's success. I think success, actually, maybe I'm just thinking about this now because we just had this conversation, the two of us right before this, um, the having like the, the relationships in your life, you know, like if you feel like you're connected and there's a certain depth and a certain honesty with the relationships in your life. I mean, for me, that feels like, oh, like, and it's success. I don't love the word success because I feel like it has like different connotations, but maybe for mm-hmm. me, it's joy and contentment, you know, and me, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's where I think like we can really sink into our greatest meaning. And it's not just like, you know, nuclear relationships with partners and kids. It's, how am I showing up in this world with my colleagues and the people that share, you know, the same building as me? And am I smiling on my way in and saying, have a, yeah. you know, security guard and my kid's school? Like, you know, how are you today? So I think it's just like connecting with the people around us. That's what I sure. Say. Yeah. I, uh, one of the things I like to tell people all the time, because when they find out I have a podcast that's called Relationships and Revenue, uh-huh. uh, it can be confusing to some people. It's like, how, what do relationships have mm-hmm. to do with revenue? And it's really mm-hmm. confusing. Mm-hmm. I say, look, not that this is why I named the podcast, but I believe that true wealth mm-hmm. is in relationships, mm-hmm. without a doubt. Oh, and I mean, that's I agree with that completely. Has nothing to do with money. Never did. No. Never no. did. No. And and for me, success is getting up one more time than I fall down. That's nice. <laughs> truly. That's truly. Nice. Like keeping on show. Going up, I mean, that's like a big part of it, you know. Like, oh I yeah, I may have had a miss, and uh, this didn't work out the way I wanted to, but I'm going to like keep on showing up and take care of myself too, you know. Like, mm-hmm. know how to like, process the misses, but yeah, that's that's another. Oh I mean, yeah, so many different ways we can answer that question, but that's a beautiful one too. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned a word just a moment ago, joy. Yeah, and you know, I have I have friends all the time. Uh, you know, when you get to a certain point in life, especially mm-hmm. you know, since you're married and you have kids. It's kind of like, you know, your friends start to reflect what you have in your own life. Mm-hmm. So like if you're married and have kids, almost all your friends are married and have kids, that sort of thing. And so, you know, all my friends have kids. And so, you know, I, I hear this all the time. And I think people say it without thinking. Mm-hmm. They say things like, well, my job as a parent is, you know, I want to raise happy kids. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. wh- first of all, it's like, why? Mm-hmm. Uh, because first of all, I think most people don't even understand what the word means. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you go, if you trace the word happy back to its root, it means happenstance. Mm-hmm. That means it's dependent upon what's going on in the moment determines uh-huh. whether I'm happy or uh-huh. sad. Interesting. Like, it's like, no, I'd rather have the emphasis be joy because yeah. joy isn't dependent upon circumstances. It's yeah. an active choice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And that's such an important differentiation, right? Like that it's not about happiness. And I, I will do this in sessions too with clients. Like let's, let's like, let's like shelf happiness, you know, let's like talk more about joy and meaning and contentment, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that like, you know, it's right. Raising happy kids. Like that's something that you hear people say. And it's more like raising kids to know who they are and know what gives them that sense of purpose and meaning in life. And then the ability to pursue that, you know, like the bravery to pursue that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I would I would love to see 
and and I'm I'm not exactly sure how mm-hmm. I would pursue this, mm-hmm. but how can we help, especially younger parents, not necessarily younger in age, but meaning they have younger children, to teach kids how to be content? Yeah. I mean, I think mm. so science shows like we raise good kids, mostly not all of it, but a lot, a lot of it through modeling. So how we yeah. are, they are like little sponges and those of yeah, they are. listening know this and it's just like it's just so funny how like they're just like whoop, like they're like their ears perk up like they're listening they're watching so if you carve out a life for yourself and you're committed to finding your own joy and contentment there's a good chance that you're going to raise kids who will value the same thing mm, love that love that what would you say is your number one go-to daily habit yeah and, and uh, why so i like i mean mornings are really important for me because they really do set the day um, mm-hmm. so I try, I mean, every morning I'll try and have like some quiet time where I have my coffee and I can ground myself, think about what I'm doing that day. I write down five different gratitudes mm. and then, um, which is nice. It's just like a nice habit and ritual yeah. or, or what I'm grateful for. And then when I can, this doesn't happen every morning. And again, it's like, sometimes I'm better about it. Sometimes I'm not, but getting in some physical movement, some exercise mm. is really, really great for me, followed by a little bit of meditation. So like on like okay. the days when I'm, when I'm getting up early, like that's what I'll do. I'll do like a little bit of quiet time, writing some exercise and then some quiet meditation. And okay. if I do that, it's like, whew, like it's, it's great. It's a great way to start the day. Mm-hmm. Love that. Love that. Tell me about a time that you failed really big. And what was the result of that? Yeah. I mean, gosh, I'm thinking like what I should choose. And I, I have things from my early training I can talk about, but that feels too long ago now. (laughs) I won't talk about that, but like definitely that. I would say like, because we're talking about gutsy and writing a book, Mm -hmm. uh, I'll go there. And it took a long time for me to get this book published. You know, I wrote the manuscript Mm. four years ago. I had a finished manuscript. I edited it. And then I tried to get it published, which is a hard thing to do. It's hard to get a book traditionally published. And I was oh, yeah. told no a lot of times, you know, no by agents, no. And then I was able to get an agent finally, but that was a whole process. And then no by lots of publishers. And um, so, I mean, it wasn't like a public big failure necessarily, but it was like a lot of like, gosh, that was really, really hard. A lot of persistence, a lot of just like sort of like putting my head down and like knowing this is something that I really wanted to do. And staying with it until I I I was able to you know manifest it until it happened for me, but that was okay. not a process. Gotcha. Is there another book in your future? There is. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, yeah. Perking, yeah. perking up here. I'm writing. I'm working on another one right now, but no details yet. But I'm working on another right now. Yeah. Okay. Well, you'll have to keep us posted because I'm I will very definitely. interested in learning about that. Yeah. 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 One one yeah. of the things that I do, Doctor Leia. It's a, it's a practice I started about five years ago, and it came from a place of frustration, to be mm. honest with you. Um, I'm the kind of person, I, I'm a big reader, and mm. I'm, I can't do the electronic books. I oh. tried, I tried, I can't. I got to okay. have the physical, actual book where I can touch it, I can uh-huh. highlight it, I can circle, I can write notes in it. Uh-huh. I, just, I have to have that. And so I'm the kind of person that when I get a book, I tell people about it because uh-huh. I get, I'm all into it. Well, I would have people saying, hey, that sounds so great. Can I borrow it? Uh-huh. Well, I was not getting my books back, <laughs> at least as soon as I would have liked. So uh-huh. I, I don't know why it took me so long, but I finally figured out you need to start buying a minimum of two copies every time. <laughs> that cool. way, one for me and uh-huh. one on purpose to give uh-huh. away. 
Uh-huh. That's really, I really like that because any of us, I'm the same. I also read hard copies. My husband likes Audible. I do hard copies mm-hmm. and I, I don't even know where so many of my books are. <laughs> so I really mm-hmm. like that. One for me, one to lend out. Uh-huh. That's right. That's, no, I don't <laughs> lend it out on purpose. I give it away. Oh, you give it away. Oh, that's yeah, I nice. give it away. I don't want on purpose. I don't want it back. Uh, and so I tell people, it's like, look, if read the book, enjoy it. Uh-huh. It is yours. But uh-huh. if you want to pass it on, pass it on. Oh, that's so nice. yeah. On purpose. So nice. Yeah. And one right. of the times I know of for sure that I gave away a book, it was passed at least seven times and went on three different continents. Wow. I know that for sure. Wow. That's kind of like those, like the flat Stanley, you know, like you take pictures with like the book where it has this mm-hmm. book. <laughs> yeah yeah that's a nice idea i really like that all right well again you know rem- remember how much you paid for it so uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> all right um before we get to our final four uh very quickly best and worst parts of your job oh oh best parts of my job by far are the people that i get to work with i mean again it goes back to like i like i really lead with connection in a lot of ways and it, it fills me up so much so i just mm feel grateful that I get to connect with so many different kinds of people and different things that they're going. And it's such a privilege to sit with someone in therapy and hear some things that they don't share with other people at all, you know, and it's just, I really, really find great purpose and meaning in that. Um, And I would say like the hardest parts of my job are probably can't like the sort of like the counterbalance of that, you know, like sometimes it can get a bit weighty, you know, hearing Mm. a lot of tough stuff and, and, you know, especially we're coming out of this pandemic, dealing with my own tough stuff and sort of figuring out how to take care of myself and have men, you know, an internal boundaries so that I'm not carrying mm. much of the hard stuff with me um, sure. into my day to day. Yeah. Okay. Um, how can folks connect with you? I have a website, drleacats.com. I'm on Instagram. I post mental health tidbits pretty much daily. So that's at Dr. Dr. Period L-E-A-H-K-A-T. Because there's a lot of different impersonators out there, but that is my only account on Instagram. Mm-hmm. But just uh, Instagram's an interesting place. But anyways, there's a lot of that. That's my account. And those are probably the two best ways to connect with me. Okay. And do you have any uh, parting words for our audience before we get into our final four? Mm -hmm. Parting words, I would say, are like, take time for yourself, even if it's just Mm -hmm. a moment. You know, I had a meditation teacher tell me once, and I really love this, like, you can just sink into yourself and do a quick check-in with yourself for in the moment it takes the elevator doors to open doesn't have to be long doesn't it could be if you want to if you have time for that but like just this little check in take up take a little pause how am i doing like what i tell clients are like where's my thoughts what emotions am i having right now how's my body feeling just take little moments for yourself just for check in and then mm. there like that'll probably guide you to do other things i mean you know oh wow i'm really stressed like then that might like lead to greater self care like let me work through this or but those little pauses are really profound they can be big game changers for sure for sure and folks, you know, I can't go an episode that has an author on it without doing this. So get out your handy dandy phones. If you want a free signed copy of Dr. Leia's book, Gutsy, this is what you do with your phone. When this episode comes out, you have to take a picture of it. You post it on Instagram and you tag Dr. Leia and me. When you do that, first person to do that is going to get a signed copy of Dr. Leia's book on me. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> Uh-huh. All right, Dr. Leia, we're going to get into our final four. They're just four quick questions. Tell me the first thing okay. pops in your head. Okay. All right, here we go. Number one, why did God create Dr. Leia? Oh, um, gosh. I guess to connect, I... to connect with people. Okay. That's a good yeah. one. I like that answer. Number two, what are you doing, reading, or listening to right now that's helping you grow? 
Mm. So I love reading too. I'm reading Simon Sinek's book on eater leaders eat last. And it's just like, it's mm. not mental health related, but it's about businesses and how to be a good leader. And it's, it's cool. Love that. Love that. Yeah. It's, that's good stuff. What do you do for fun? I like to go walk my dog a lot. We live in beautiful Portland, Oregon. It's really pretty. So it's fun. Try and do that every day. All right. Uh, what are you most grateful for? I'm grateful to be alive right now in this planet, like in this, just and share this time with the people around me and have the people in my life. And I'm just, I'm really grateful to be here. One last question. Someone comes up to you and is wanting a recommendation for a book. What is your go-to recommendation on a book? Mm, well, I love, this is a fiction book, but I love where the crowd at sing. I mean, it's just like, that's the first thing that pops into my mind. I just love, mm. love, love that book. I just thought it was a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, and let's see. Well, another and a mental health recommendation would be I really know it's called No Bad Parts, Internal Family Systems. It's how to it's it's a cool book. It, it's how to learn to relate to what's happening for us differently and how to work through old injury and trauma. It's a good book. OK. And folks, again, as always, we will make sure that anything we talk about uh, specifically related to books, we will tag those in the show notes. So you guys can find those right away and get those wonderful recommendations. So, Dr. Leah. Thank you so much for your time today and for breathing life into all of us, telling us more about relationships and how to get better at those things, how to take stock of who we are and where we are and what we can do to get better in the process. So mm. thank you so much for that. Well, thank you for having me. You bet. And thank you to all of you for tuning in today. You have given us your most precious resource and that's your time. And we don't yeah. take that lightly. So thank you to all of you for being here, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Relationships and Revenue. I'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review and or connect with me on social media. You can find me at John Hewlin. Thanks again for listening, and remember, passion gets you started, purpose keeps you going. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Bye.